What is up, y'all? Welcome to season two of Keeping It Real with Jalen. Thank y'all so much for tuning in, for being in, also for being here. I really hope that you guys enjoy season one as much as I enjoy putting it together for y'all. Um, in season two, I hope to keep the same momentum, uh, keep the same topics or, you know, not the same topics, but, you know, different topics um, and engage with you guys uh, even more and even better. So stay tuned for season two because there's going to be a lot of cool things coming up um, in this season. I'm also going to be offering different um subscription services with patreon and things like that so make sure you guys keep an eye out for that and without further ado let's just go ahead and jump into episode one of season two so for today's episode we're gonna be talking about therapy um with no one other than tia briscoe lmft um so without further ado let's just go ahead and hop right into it tia if you don't mind could you introduce yourself hi everyone this is tia briscoe here i am so excited to be here. I feel like I haven't done a podcast for many moons, so I'm super excited to be here with you all. Um, a little bit about me, I guess. I currently hone in Las Vegas, Nevada. I've lived in California for most of my life. Um, just moved here to the heat. I don't know what I was thinking, but... <laughs> you know buying this house was like a necessary thing because the taxes uh <laughs> that's where I ended up um but I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and there are tons and tons of different other types of categories of therapists out there um I'll explain those a little later um but I'm currently licensed in uh Nevada California Texas and Arizona more recently um, my private practice uh, is located in all four states, I guess you can say. I specialize in working with uh, corporate mental health. So I support large and small corporations to make sure that their employees are living their best lives and not being burned out and not quitting and not taking their lives and all kinds of stuff. So I do that. And then I specialize in crisis management for companies. So I go out to your large companies and support them when they have someone pass away or when they have, you know, like mass shootings and things of that nature. So I'm kind of all over the place, I guess. Right. <laughs> I'm not explain my life. I'm just here. <laughs> but that's the beauty of therapy, like of being a therapist. There's so many different realms that you can work in. It's not just like, okay, you're going to be a therapist. You're only going to be a marriage and family therapist, you know? Yes. So that's the <laughs> yes. cool thing about being a therapist. You can dabble into so many different things. Yeah, it's not just the, you know, private practice or, you know, individual therapy. I mean, even in social work, the the gambit is so big of what you can do as a therapist. Yeah. I would have had that fear that I was going to be stuck in the box, and I was just terrified of that. So I went out and learned as much as I could and resulted in, like, the thousand jobs. <laughs> yeah, which, which, look, like you said, you had to move to Vegas to buy a house. We need yes. all the coins, okay? All the coins, every penny. But Vegas is almost as expensive as California. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't have any state taxes, I think. So it works out really well for that. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. That's yes. really good to know. Yeah, but as a therapist, I mean, they have reciprocity. So if you get your license in California, more specifically, a lot mm -hmm. of states consider California's test to be, like, the highest of quality, so... Oh, so California yeah. is standing the standard for everybody. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, it's a standard for social workers and LMFTs and LPCCs. Like, they see California as, like, kind of like the GOAT. So there's tons of other states that you can get licensed in just by having your license in California. Well, that's amazing. That's really good to know. Um, especially yeah. for those who are out there pursuing either LMFT or LCSW, maybe this can be like a way that they can 
make their decision, you know, if they want to be an LCSW or an LMFT. So that's really, mm-hmm. that's really good to know. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So thank you for having me. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm just going to be asking you like, kind of like a series of questions, but it's going to be, we're just, gonna, we're having a conversation. That's all that this is. Um, providing the people with some information and just going from there. So, um, as Tia stated, she is a private practice LMFT specializing in, um, or I'm I'm not sorry. I'm sorry. It's not specializing. Practicing in Arizona, Nevada, California, and Texas. I'm going to go ahead and drop a link to her, um, her therapy page. So that way you guys can look into the different types of therapies that she does provide. Um, and if you are interested, maybe becoming a client of hers, if she's taking Uh enrollment. (laughs) You know, that's the hard part about being licensed is that, you know, so many people will call you and be like, oh, you know, I'm looking for a therapist. And having multiple licenses in different states really does open up the possibility of taking clients that may not be able to find like a black therapist or, you know, a therapist that specializes in that. So, I mean, I am full as of right now, but I have plenty, plenty resources. So you all, please don't feel afraid to reach out to me on my Instagram. And we, we love a therapist that's booked and busy, okay? <laughs> Getting on the coin. <laughs> so can you just tell us kind of how you, how did, how did you kind of dabble into this field? What interested you into becoming a therapist? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I tell people, honestly, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like I've been trying to answer that question for, like, years and years. Um, I I originally was a preschool teacher, so I taught preschool for five, six years. Um, I taught with my best friend, who, that's sort of how we met. So we met through Desiree, but you and I also, my friend Anne lives in complex with you. Um, She no longer lives there. She lives in Detroit and owns a preschool out there, but... Um, we taught together for, for a long time, and I also worked at student housing at CSUN, and when I was there, I just noticed how much mental health played a role in, like, the college students' lives and, you know, issues with, like, substance abuse and alcoholism and domestic violence and pressure, trying to be as great as they possibly can in college, and it was just, these things were just like, why is this happening, and so... I really started to just gain an interest in psychology and just kind of understanding why people act the way that they act. And Mm -hmm. um, I've had a lot of wonderful mentors in my life who kind of like took me under their wing with no, you know, you don't owe me anything. I just want to teach you how to do this. And that's, that's kind of how I became a therapist. I I met uh, Dr. Dana Stone. She works in the CSUN MFT department and just heard her speak about therapy and just fell in love right there. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I applied to CSUN and that was the only school that I applied for for my master's degree. And I got in and I've been doing it ever since. (laughs) That's amazing. So to clarify, your undergrad is in psychology. Actually, my undergrad is in child and adolescent development. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. And then your master's is in um, marriage and family therapy. Marriage and family therapy. That's so interesting because I would never know that CSUN has a program for that. Like, I would have never known that. (laughs) Why? I mean, I'm just not finding out, actually. So We're actually one of the top schools in the country that have their child development program because they're linked to so many different, um, like, preschools and daycares and centers and nationally rated centers. So they're they're really – I mean, I just personally think CSUN is the greatest school ever. Yes. Look, me too. (laughs) I ride hard for CSUN. We don't have no football team or nothing, but I ride hard. (laughs) 
And just so everyone knows what CSUN, we're talking about California State University, Northridge. Um, I currently attend there, and um, I also got my undergrad from CSUN. So just so, you know, the people know what it is. <laughs> yes, I am a matador to the heart. Okay, <laughs> me too. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's how I ended up there. Um, private practice was more of a trauma experience for me. So I tell people <laughs> I started my private practice simply because I went through a really bad breakup, mm-hmm. uh, which is how we met too. Uh, <laughs> I went through a pretty rough breakup and had no choice. It was either move back in with my mom or go into private practice. Yeah. And um, my mom was like, hey, you can come home. And I was like, I'm never doing that. Not because <laughs> I don't love my mom, but I'm from Lancaster and Palmdale where there's nothing there. There's nothing. There's no opportunity yeah. there for you. Talk about so, lots of resources out there. Yeah, there's none. Um, and thankfully, you know, a group of us, including one of my cousins, we started, you know, different therapy practices out there. So uh, there's more resources, but it was like either <laughs> move back in with your mom or go into private practice. And I opted to go into private practice. So isn't it uh, crazy that like a traumatic experience kind of like either makes or breaks us <laughs> either absolutely, as, absolutely. you know, either in your career or just who you are as a, as a human being. Like, mm-hmm. it's amazing I- what traumas and triggers I guess and also stressors can uh kind of light a fire in you essentially yeah motivate me yeah that was I mean that was that was the catalyst of like I am not going to just let this kill me so I'm either gonna well kudos to you thank you thank you but when my clients talk about trauma even like daily trauma all the time like breakups and you know moving and separations like I get it it makes all the sense to me so yeah. That's now, how I ended up here. <laughs> now, when you started, like, your private practice, and let's just say, because I know you said that you were kind of going through, like, your own personal journey and struggles. Now, mm-hmm. did you ever, exp- and I'm quite sure you have, but did yeah. you experience, like, any vicarious trauma through your clients? Oh, yeah, because I was getting um, quite a few clients. Well, during the process of my breakup, my grandmother had passed away uh, oh, two wow. months before my breakup. And if you all know me, I am a grandma's baby to the core. Like, I have her tatted on my back. Like, that's that's my girl. And so it seemed like at that time when I first started practice, I got a lot of people who were grieving the loss mm. of someone. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I'm not ready for It's this. like the universe was sending them to you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, calm down because I get it. And I think that made them so much more relatable because um, I had never lost anyone close to me. I was in a relationship for five years, so I had never been in a, a breakup situation before. And so all of those things, I felt like, made me more sensitive to my clients' needs of just understanding when they come in the office and just wanting to cry for, you know, 30 yeah. minutes or whatever that might be. So I think it, it traumatized me a little bit because it was like, oh, my goodness, this is what life could be. But it also made me a lot more sensitive to the needs of my clients you know, so it worked out in a good way. <laughs> so would you say it made it, uh, it made you like more empathetic rather than like sympathetic? Yeah, definitely. I had a lot more empathy because like I said, if you've never been through something like that, you don't understand like what the brain is doing. I'm a huge neurobiology mm-hmm. person. You don't get what the brain is going through, what that person is going through. And so I think my empathy was on a high level. I had to have boundaries, of course, but of course, yeah. I think, my empathy for people dealing with grief and loss like developed so significantly because I had had two losses in the span of like two months. Like back to back. I had to go to my own therapy. (laughs) Yeah. And so speaking of which, like 
it's okay for a therapist to go to therapy, right? <laughs> like, uh, yes, ma'am. Tia has been in therapy for nine years strong. Same therapist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, consistency. Yes. <laughs> yes, I don't. I couldn't go without him. Like, I feel like he knows me so well and just what I'm about. But absolutely, there a lot of therapists go to therapy, and some don't. I think that's a big misconception. Is like. You have to be in therapy to be a therapist. Some people don't need it. One of my really good friends is a social worker, and he jumps out of planes for uh, for therapy for himself. Mm. So to me, I feel like it's it's not a requirement, but it's helpful, especially if you're you know a therapist that's going through your own things. Like, yeah, we absolutely go to therapy. Like I said, I go to therapy every two weeks, and I love it. <laughs> and 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 that's okay to need someone to when the therapist needs someone to. I think that's what makes you know, people and also therapists more relatable as well. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah. we all don't have it together. Like, I'm an, I'm an aspiring clinical social worker, and yeah. I do foresee myself, you know, being, you know, going having a therapist because things happen in our lives just as much as they happen in, in, in other people's lives as well. So we need to make sure that we're okay 100% mentally so that way we can provide the services to our clients 100%. Absolutely, and it gives us the experience of being a client. Exactly, exactly. It's very hard to walk into a therapist's room and sit in the chair and have someone kind of read you. (laughs) (laughs) Or read some notes about you, especially if you've been in therapy in the past. Yes, absolutely. So I always try to be a bit more sensitive to my clients just in general, especially during the pandemic too, you know. I know I couldn't go see my, my therapist in person because I had, ill family members and so it was like well I can't go see him so it made me more empathetic as a therapist to say well okay if you got to sit in your car and do session like as long as it's done it's done you know so I do think that it it provides having that understanding of being a client and a therapist at the same time I feel like it's invaluable now are your sessions in person or telehealth right now um they're all telehealth so I do train like do my corporate training sometimes I do those in person um but as far as like my individual therapy sessions they're all uh via telehealth as of now especially with moving right right so you could be I mean you're in Nevada so you can have a client that's in California or in Texas or wherever yep and I do (laughs) but that's that also (laughs) but that's also interesting because um with telehealth, it's opened the world. To, it's opened like your doors to so many yeah. more opportunities and more clients and different states and things like that. So I think that's the beauty of it as well. Yes, and because we're you know minority therapists, like it opens up the possibility for you know black clients and Latinx clients and clients that don't normally have a whole lot of access. Because yeah. I know in Northridge, I was the only black therapist in Yes, you were. <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> not anymore. Um, but, you know, it, it opens up access. And I think that's just a big thing with therapy is being able to access your preferred therapist. Because I feel like it's like dating. Like, you got to really like the person that you're about to open your whole life up to. And yeah. if they don't, you're marked. And it's interesting that you say that because I remember I had reached out to you because I was actually looking for a therapist and I was like, I want a black female therapist. And I had reached out to you, but um, obviously with like insurance and things like that, it wouldn't wouldn't have worked out. But luckily, I was able to find a black therapist. Granted, she was in uh, Calabasas Um, and some of our sessions we were in person, but majority of the time we were um, virtual. But um, the lack of resources is, is prevalent, you know. It is, and that's why we need so many people like you to come into the field because 
we just don't have enough. We have a lot more than we did, but yeah. there's just it's still not enough. And so we need people to be, that's why I love the fact that you're doing a podcast on this, because I feel like we need so many people to be educated. Like this is what therapy is. This is what being a social worker is. This is what being an LPCC is. So that more people want to come into the field because it's a very lucrative field. I tell people like money wise, you're going to be straight. Right. Because people are always going to need therapy. Oh yes, most definitely. And people are people, companies, corporations, whatever, they're all willing to pay top dollar for therapists. Like, we're, we're, we make a pretty lucrative living. <laughs> yeah. Especially wow. if you have, like, different, um, like, avenues. Because you can have, like, like how you're doing, like, a private practice. And then you can be training for, you know, corporate. Or, look, you can even be, like, a therapist for, like, a, a NFL team or something, you know? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know a few therapists that do, like, NBA and NFL and NHL. So yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like whatever your spirit drives you to do in the field, you can do. If you want to be a therapist for rappers, like that's possible, you know. So and it's not as like taboo anymore either. Like a lot of folks are talking about therapy now and talking about mental health now, and you know, it's actually considered like, um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's considered like um, not a health issue, but it's considered like a part of your health now. Absolutely, yeah. They we we're considered healthcare providers. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, wow, that's it, that's a, that is also amazing. As it goes to show you, like how much it has grown over the years. Because I know when I was growing up, it was like, don't talk about it. Like you know, you having mental health issues, go lay down. <laughs> you know, like go to the couch. Yeah. Go go drink some ginger ale. <laughs> yes. But now, okay. yeah. But now people are like talking about it more, and I think with the pandemic happening it has been a huge spike in mental health services, especially with like our uh, adolescence population, but also amongst, you know, um, young adults and, and teens and things like that. But it's amazing that we as a community or as a society can talk about it more freely without, you know, to a certain extent, people are still going to judge, but it's a lot more talked about. It's a, it's a lot more okay to talk about it. It's okay to have mental health issues and it's okay to want to seek help and things like that. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's 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 changed a lot of, you know, our elders' perceptions absolutely. as well. I'm, I'm the only therapist in my family, but so many people have now taken advantage of therapy because they're like, okay, well, Tia's a, therapy, a therapist, so, you know, it can't be that bad. And I've seen it help different people that I know, especially, like, older adults in my family. Like, it, it's helped them change a lot of their perceptions on themselves and the world around us, but... You know, my mom said something very, like, significant. She was like, you know, we didn't have access to therapists when we were growing up. Like, we didn't even know people that were therapists. Mm. It was expensive to go to a psychiatrist, you know, or you were crazy if you went. So to have it be such a prominent thing that's talked about in the news and in sports and all of that, like, it just, it warms my heart a lot. Especially amongst, like, our African-American men, too. Like, I think that's what's been, like, the most significant amazing thing to see you know i love it it so much i most of my private practice with individual clients is with african-american men i i just and that was my study in grad school was uh, supporting college-age african-american men in therapy and it's amazing it's my favorite group of people i feel so biased saying that (laughs) (laughs) i love working with black men because it's just because you see them and they come into therapy and they're all hard and then they release and then they go out into the world and they can be great and it's like go to therapy (laughs) yes we 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 out here sending healed men into the field and and healed men into the world (laughs) 
<laughs> so speaking of therapy, I know there's not like a one approach to it. I know there's like different kinds of therapy. Can you kind of talk about like what the different kinds of therapy are? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a plethora of therapies that can meet somebody's need. It really kind of depends on, one, it depends on the therapist that you get and what they're trained in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so me, I'm trained in crisis management, triage, evaluation, and solution-focused therapy, which is very wow. short-term therapy. Um, it, it's extremely short-term. It's like your EAP therapy, which is your employee assistance program. Mm-hmm. For some of you, your companies. Side note on that, your companies may pay for you to go to therapy. So that's something you can acquire about. Um, a lot of them have EAP services, but I specialize in that because I specialize in, in companies. Um, but you can have a therapist that focuses primarily on trauma work. So that could be EMDR, which is like eye movement therapy, um, cognitive behavioral trauma therapy. Um, there's narrative therapy, which is like really used in cultures that are like storytellers so like natives and things of that nature oh, wow. I mean there's humanistic therapy where the therapist kind of gives you the free reins kind of be who you are in session I mean all therapists do that but um I mean there's just there's DBT which is dialectical behavioral therapy I mean there's so many therapies out there that it depends on kind of the orientation of your therapist so I'm really firmly solution focused in cognitive behavioral therapy but okay. you know I have friends that that do all kinds of stuff. So how does that look like in session? Like a C, like CBT solution focus? Like I'm assuming you help clients build goals and how they can work towards those goals essentially? Absolutely. So my goal is to, because like I said, I'm really into neurobiology. So I always tell people the, the job of the brain and the body is to protect the human from mm-hmm. any kind of external danger. So my job is to almost kind of train your brain to behave differently in certain situations, aka give you coping skills. So that would be more of what a CBT therapist does. They really focus on your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors and how they all interact with each other. Um, And so that is, in essence, we're what we call trauma-informed therapists, which means that we are understanding that you may have trauma in your life and this is how it impacts your behaviors or your thoughts about yourself or whatever, but we're not specifically focusing on the trauma. We're giving you kind of day-to-day tools to be able to build that confidence up again in yourself. Now, that kind of therapy, does that also include like medication or is it primarily um, practice without medication? Um, it could. It's funny. I teach psychopharmacology at CSUN, so it could. <laughs> uh, but I just had a conversation with a nurse practitioner about this. Um, <clears throat> so, yes, it can. It can or can't. So, some people have a lot of misconceptions about medication and what it, it can do for you. Um, I tell people, like, sometimes our brain just doesn't have enough of what it needs. Like, it doesn't have enough of serotonin or dopamine, which are, like, the happy drugs. Mm -hmm. So, sometimes medications can add those things in there so where you can start feel better and then you can have better success in your therapy. But it doesn't always have to be medication. You don't always have to take medication. A lot of people do things like Reiki or holistic healing or whatever that might be. So medications are kind of a self-decision, but sometimes they can be really helpful in just replenishing your brain, if that makes sense. No, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Because, I mean, even for myself personally, I still, you know, I'm definitely misconstrued about medication. I don't know, you know, the full variants and the full details of it. So I'm hoping through grad school, like, you know, I'll learn that, obviously, right? Yeah, Um, you're definitely going to take a psycho farm class. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... Yeah, so, I mean, I think by you just 
describing that, I think that kind of opens up the doors and the windows for folks who do have a misconception about uh, medication. And it's okay if you do need to take right. medication Absolutely. to stabilize right. yourself. You know, yeah. we take medication and, and when we're in pain. <laughs> yeah. And medications are so, you, you, you build a personal relationship with your psychiatrist, just like you would do your therapist. Like, you build a personal relationship with your psychiatrist, or you can see a nurse practitioner who specializes in, um, like, psychological work. So the mm-hmm. person I was talking to earlier today, he does, like, uh, psych nurse practitioning, or he will be doing it. But, you know, you develop a relationship with your provider, just like your doctor, to say, hey, you know, this is what I've been going through. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of afraid to be on medications. Can you explain what may or may not happen? Right. And then understanding that some medications don't work right away. It usually takes about six to eight weeks for medications to start working. Okay. Um, so you're not going to feel better right away. But if you give it some time, you can start seeing what your symptoms are going to be and things of that nature. You continue your therapy. Um, it's really not that bad. I've had a lot of people that have had success on medications. It's just, you know, making sure that you're in communication with your providers to make sure you're getting the right amount and the right dosage and all of that. And this might sound like a silly question, but by you being a uh, LMFT, and let's just say you do have a client that um, does have a psychiatrist, do you and the psychiatrist kind of work together to figure out a, figure out a plan for your client? Uh, yeah, we can. So it's, it's really up to the clients, um, the permission of the client. So if the client uh, does a written release, because as most people know now, therapy is 100% confidential minus a few things that we can and cannot tell. Um, but we have to have permission from you to be able to collaborate with the psychiatrist to make sure that like your dosage is fine and what we're seeing. Um, so if we are given permission, then absolutely we can talk to the psychiatrist without any issue. Gotcha. So what if a client like doesn't want to get consent, but you like, you really want to talk to their psychiatrist? Like, how would that work? Absolutely. I mean, so one, it's definitely up to the client if they don't want to get consent. That's the best part about therapy is that we call it autonomy. So you can decide to be yay or nay on whatever you want to be. So I think that's important for people to know that you're not forced. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll have a conversation as to why, um, or I'll try to just kind of go into like, why don't you feel comfortable um, if you want to explain it to me, if you don't want to explain it to me, that's fine. Um, but I will say it's really important for me to make sure that my therapy is in collaboration with your meds. I want to make sure that you're doing fine and, you know, I'm not overwhelming you as you're like tapering up on your meds or not. But in the end, ultimately, if they say no, then, you know, it, it is what it is, but I'll definitely try to get as much information from the clients, um, so that I can help them in a, in a more, like, detailed way, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like but problem solving together. Don't tell you. Yeah. Gotcha. And, I mean, mm-hmm. that makes sense because I know, like, with the line of work that I do, um, mm-hmm. there's always times where people don't want to give us consent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's about trust. You absolutely. Know? A lot of the times my clients trust me, so they know I'm not out there trying to harm them any And I tell them, like, you tell me that you want me to protect your child. This is part of it. You so, know, I, I need to make sure that I protect your child even from you sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so how does that work? Like, if you, because as a therapist, you are a mandated reporter for either child yes. abuse, elder abuse. And things of that nature. So how does that work? Like, let's just say you have a client and they're disclosing, you know, abuse about their their child or whatever. How do you kind of tell them that you do need to make a phone call to, like, the child protection hotline? 
Yeah. So I always, I, I try to do as preventative as I can and let them know that if it is brought up to me in any way that I do, I have a, a duty to, you know, report. And that's not just with child abuse, but if you tell me you're going to hurt yourself and you're refusing to do like a safety plan with me yeah. or whatever that might be, or you have a plan or intent, um, or if you tell me that an, an, an elderly adult is being abused. So I try to kind of give them that warning ahead of time. Um, for the times that I have done it, I will tell them, like, I do have to make a report on this, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever it is. I've, I've had to, I've made some crazy reports and had to tell some people where I was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so scared. Yeah. But, you know, I try not to hide it unless I feel like my life is in danger. And there was maybe one or two where I felt like, oh, this may not be good. So I consulted with my supervisors at the time or consulted with colleagues as to what to do. Um, but I will tell them outright, like, my goal is to make sure to continue to help and service your family. And sometimes we need that extra support that, you know, DCFS can provide, you know, because sometimes families feel very out of control and, you know, they're not able to care for their children. Or maybe they had this baby that they really didn't want and starting to show up. And, you know, I compared to like a social worker, LCC, I have right. love for all of y'all because y'all all do so many different jobs and I'm like I could never but you're like I do it I got it and, I'm like, oh. <laughs> and same for y'all too like we like the things that you guys do we're like yeah we absolutely cannot like yeah no. <laughs> exactly. so, so I don't that's another misconception that happens in the field a lot is that like LMFTs and LCSWs and LPCCs and psychologists like we all hate each other and I'm like no we're literally like cousins <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, my best friend is a social worker. She's at LCSW, and I call her for everything. I bounce ideas off of her and all of that good stuff. Psychologists are the same. I was trained under a psychologist, so I have love for everybody because I just feel like, I don't know, we're just, we're second responders. We're great. Not only that, but, like, we all all work together as well. Yes, very much so. We all work together, and um, we all... In a sense, we all rely on each other as well. Just like, Very you know, much. sometimes we rely on, like, the police to to go mm-hmm. with, you know, whatever. But, yeah, yeah, we all rely on each other for different kinds of things and different avenues of things. Absolutely, 100%. So, yes, I'm team all, but, you know, I'm secretly biased. <laughs> <laughs> now, with, like, you be, being, like, a practicing therapist, as far as, like, mm-hmm. any, like, clinical errors that you've made like early in your career because I mean how long have you been practicing for Tia? Uh, since 2013. I've been licensed since 2018. So almost like 10 years like practicing. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. any uh, clinical errors that you've made and if you have like how did you learn from that and how have you grown from that? Yeah. Oh you just said 10 years. I didn't even realize it was about you. Oh my <laughs> Next year will be 10 years. <laughs> And I know that mm. sounds really weird because we're helpers, right? And we're supposed to want to help everybody. But um, early in my career, especially when I first started my practice, because in my mind, it was really about, like, I'll take every client that comes to me and, you know, do, you know, do I'll, I'll see anything. And I quickly learned that, like, I don't see everything. Right. I don't specialize in everything. I don't like everybody. Like, <laughs> you know, and there was some really, like, I don't specialize in personality disorders at all in any way. 
Um, and not to say that anyone who has a personality disorder is, you know, a horrible person in any way, but it's just not my specialty. Now, I have friends who do specialize in personality disorders, and they are the cream of crop and beautiful. Uh, but usually as a young therapist, we'll just take any client. And so I have to educate myself on, like, what client I genuinely feel like I do my best work with that mm. actually ended up being small children, like, ages one to five. That was, like, my, my niche. I did really well with, with young children. I love babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and babies being in therapy, people were like, what? Like, yes, babies yeah, go to therapy. Yeah, babies too. in therapy. Yes, there are lots of babies in therapy. Um, so, you know, and and really not looking at my, my preferred client, but also not educating my clients on their preferred type of therapist. Because a lot of times clients just want to slide in on a therapist because they need it. And they're not being selective on who their therapists are or what they can bring to the table. And so for me, the learning curve was like, I really need to not be afraid to lose clients, but I need to get them to their right person and also get the right clients that are for me. And now I do. I've had many long-term clients. I have about eight long-term clients. And, you know, they're some of my favorite people. They keep me on my toes and well-educated. And it's like a reciprocal relationship. But in the beginning, I was just taking whoever wanted to come. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you go about, like, building like your perfect client was it through like trial and error or mm-hmm. um yeah you know because I'm a very as a person I mean you you've seen me a couple times in person but yeah. I'm a very loud kind of just expressive human beings just in general I'm gonna come in my Tupac shirts at least one time in therapy like <laughs> I needed clients that allowed me to be myself mm-hmm. and not have to be any kind of version of myself that was not going to be helpful for them. Ooh, come on uh, now. So when my perfect client came through the door, you know, the clients that I have, like I would wear my slides in therapy so unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> but I but it probably made you more therapy. relatable. Yes, exactly. Because I had swollen feet. And so I remember one time, one of my clients who's been with me for a long time, very professional client. They walked through the door, and I think I was wearing, like, just regular shoes, and they were like, where are your slides? Like, I'm not coming into your room until you put your slides on. So, the the perfect client, the ideal client was, they kind of fell into, because I do a lot of grief and loss work, I do a lot of... um, corporate work and then I do work with with men a lot of the time so they usually fall into one of those categories but they also are respectful of who he is as a person and their expectations is not anything outside of who I am that's my perfect client and that's where <laughs> boundaries come into place absolutely and Tia has really great boundaries <laughs> talking about with that person like she does um, yeah. I have very great boundaries now. And my clients respect my boundaries. You know, they're not calling me, you know, outside of working hours. I had clients that were like that, and we we tapered those off to transition into another need. But they don't ever call me. If they call me outside of business hours, I know something is wrong. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm also sure that, like, you set your clients up, like, any event that they're having a, um, like, psychiatric emergency or something or a life crisis you've provided them resources or tools that they can use to kind of be proactive on their own. But if they feel like Absolutely. they can't, then they obviously they'll call you. And Absolutely. So- 100%. 100%. And it's been very rare as a therapist in the last couple of years that I've had people 
call me outside of sessions. I've had a few, especially with COVID, I've had some have like pretty significant, like maybe they're nurses or first responders and something has happened and they're yeah. like, hey, you know, can I book, if you're free, can I book a session? Like I really need to like process this out. Um, and, and I consider myself like okay with, with first responders calling me because I feel like, and they don't call outside of, you know, normal hours, but um, if they need like an immediate session, I will give any first responder, including social workers, like uh, immediate sessions for sure if I can. Okay. Well, that's good to know because, yeah. you know, a lot of times we do be needing that. <laughs> yeah, I do. Y'all have to be brief. Absolutely. You're not going to be able to function if you don't. So, so, so that's special to my practice, but I know other people who are just like, don't call me at all. Like, here are your resources. Go away. Yeah, but but I think that's also the beauty of it because then that's how like you retain your clients, and yeah. that's also like how you build rapport with your clients as well. Absolutely, absolutely, a hundred percent. So yeah, so that's how I keep them, my clientele. But I always, like I said, if you're if you're listening and you're like considering therapy, shop around. Do not be afraid of hurting a therapist's feelings because you're not going to do that. If you have a session with somebody and you're like, I don't really care for them. You know, or they don't really, you know, meet my need as a client. Yeah. Don't just stick around because you have to, like, really find someone that you connect with because these are your life secrets. These are, mm-hmm. you know, this is your life. This is not just the, oh, okay, I'm just doing whatever. Like, this is really your life. Kind of like your human diary. Yes, absolutely. You're a walking human diary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yes. So, Tia, do you have, like, any, um, like, go-to book recommendations that you would recommend for, like, a client either in therapy or someone wanting to seek out therapy? Yeah. So, my favorite all-time book to suggest is uh, The Body Keeps Score. And I always get, like, the authors mixed up. I always thought it was Brene Brown, but it's not. (laughs) Oh, we love Brene Brown. We love Brene Brown here, but she's an amazing author, too, and I'll drop some of her books as well. Um, But it's Bessel van der Kolk. I can never say his name fully. Bessel van der Kolk. And it's The Body Keeps Score. And um, I love this book because it really talks about, for those of us who have gone through trauma, and when I say trauma, it could just be, like I said, a breakup, or um, you're moving, or maybe you lost your job. Uh, but the body retains all of that. So for some of us, especially men, they'll say, oh, my back is hurting or my head is hurting, and it's been hurting for a couple weeks now. And it could be because you're holding whatever traumas or things that are coming up for you inside. So I always recommend the Body Keeps Score. That's, like, number one. (laughs) Without even realizing it, too, because, I mean, we, yeah, Yeah. Yeah, you do store trauma in your body. Our body is so connected. Um, and then I like anything by Bre- Brene Brown. So Atlas of the Heart, Dare to Lead, um, You Are you are Your Best Thing. Like, I love all Brene Brown, but I think she's such an advocate for mental health and culturally sensitive mental health. Um, yeah, I think that she's she's key for sure. Okay. Um, so what so else? Those are the two I would recommend. Um, Instagram, I mean, there's there's tons and tons of therapists on Instagram that you can watch. But be careful to not diagnose yourself by looking at TikTok yes. when you're young. Let somebody do the diagnosing for you. Yeah, do a full um, assessment on you. <laughs> yeah, please don't diagnose yourself. Because <laughs> it could be wrong. It very, very much so. Because we start looking at WebMD and things like that. We think we're about to grow an extra toe or something. <laughs> so. Yes, absolutely. It's the same thing with TikTok therapy. Like, therapists will go on TikTok to talk about certain things. But 
because we're all unique and we all have different experiences and, you know, health issues and things like that, it's always important to take everything with a grain of salt that you see online and really consult with, like, an actual therapist. So speaking of, like, TikTok and, and Instagram and things like that, how has social media kind of played, like, a role in in um, your practicing? Oh, my gosh. Social media is everything. So I wasn't, like, I, I, I'm not a fan of social media. I don't really like it. I have to keep it because mm-hmm. of my business. But um, I had a really good friend um, who was, like, a social media guy. And we were, I remember, we were sitting in Malibu and we were talking and he was like, why don't you show people what you do every day? Like, you do a lot of stuff. Why don't you Like show a day people? in the life. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, ah, you know. So he helped me build my Instagram, which is the therapy grind. And um, it has helped me significantly. It has connected me with other providers. I mean, there's every month I try to post, like, um, providers that are taking active clients so that people can know, like, hey, there's a, a therapist out in Atlanta that's taking clients if you live there or this person just got licensed or this person is running a workshop. So the networking is big. And then, you know, I think from in on the therapy grind page, I do a lot of just, I post a lot of random stuff that I do in my life mm-hmm. because I want people to understand that like therapists are human beings too. Like I posted a video of me seeing a freak like me. I So speaking of that, I'll go ahead and drop Tia's um, Instagram page in the episode description of this um, yeah. of this episode. And I'll also drop the uh, books that she was recommending and also, like I said, her, her website. So that way you guys can have some resources because on her website, she does have some resources available to the public um, that you guys can go ahead and take advantage of. So Absolutely. that will be And I know I'm not a therapist. So if you all are living in different states listening to this, or even countries, because I'm sure you're making it out there too, girl. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have a lot of resources. So if you need something specific, you can always drop me a DM and I can pass whatever list I have over to you. Awesome. Awesome. Was there anything else you wanted to kind of tell the people about being a therapist? Um, it's fun if you want to do it. Um, the schooling, maybe I should tell them about schooling. Yes. Yeah, um, the schooling is for MST. It's about two and a half to three years. Um, for social work, I think the, the max is about three years. Yeah. Um, and then after that you work, you are an intern or an associate, uh, and you test for your license. So it could take anywhere between five to six years to become a therapist. So I graduated in 2015 and got my license in 2018. Um, but it, it's, like I tell people, it's an amazing career. I would not do anything else. I don't see myself doing anything else. Um, and so if it's something that you want to pursue, I mean, look at Jalen. She was just like, forget it. I'm going to go be a social worker. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to go live your best life? We need you. Again, you know, people say, well, oh, you're not going to make any money as a therapist. Like, it is, again, a very lucrative career. It's an emotionally lucrative career, and it's also financially and all of that. So... Absolutely. If you're interested, 
One of my favorite uh, Instagrams to look at is uh, Dr. TK. She is amazing, and she is, like, the boss of therapists. Okay. (laughs) Yes. I'll check her out. I'll I'll put her down here as well, too. Yes. So if you all are considering it, don't consider it. Just do it. You're going to get older anyway. You might as well just do it. (laughs) Yeah, and finding your passion, too. kind of relates back to the episode we talked about last week. Or two weeks ago. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Tia. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I miss seeing your face. I know. Well, next time you're in uh, Cali, let me know. Maybe we can meet up for like lunch or coffee or something. Absolutely. I will come see you. Well, my hope is to see you again at graduation. Okay. Manifesting graduation already. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Like I said, I'll go ahead and drop down some resources in the episode description box. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email them to me at keepitinrealwithjalen at gmail.com or go ahead and send me a DM on Instagram at keepitinrealwithjalen. Thank you all so much and I'll see you next week for another episode of Keeping It Real with Jalen. Bye.